Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. So uh, with that in mind, uh, let's get into the Word of God. If you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel according to John, the Gospel according to John. And again, I want to thank the worship team uh, for, for just giving of their, of their lives and their gifts and blessing us that the way that they did. Um, y'all have no business not being packed out every single Sabbath. You hear me? We got. We have to work on this, man. This thing. It, you guys should be standing room only, man. The spirit of God is up in this place. We can't let this be a secret now. So the word of God says we're in uh, John chapter twenty-one, the Gospel of John chapter twenty-one, uh, starting with verse fifteen. It says, "When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John." Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be in your word and trusting us right now in this moment, in this space, on this beautiful holiday that we get to experience every single week. Father, we open our hearts and our minds to you. We open our ears and our eyes to you. Father, we want to see, we want to hear. Father, we want to be able to comprehend and understand that which heaven offers us in this moment. Father, may we come to know you, come to know ourselves better, And as a result, Father, enter into the deepest, most trusting relationship we could possibly have with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let everyone say amen Amen and amen, amen. It's really interesting uh, when we get to this point in the ministry of Jesus at the very end before his ascension, these these final moments with his apostles. And John records this. Matthew does not record it. Uh, Neither does Luke, uh, nor does Mark record it, but John records this uh, encounter between Jesus and Peter, and it's significant, and I think that John does this because I'm not sure if you guys have picked up on this when reading through the gospel of John, but John seems to be a bit more touchy-feely. He's one of those, he's he's, he's he's an emotional guy, he's in touch with his feelings, right? And so he really seems to be caught up with the idea that Jesus is love. You, you see it in his, in his emails. His first email is where we read that God is love. God is love. And so he seems to center around the, the more relational aspects of Jesus' ministry. 
That's why we're even reading the Gospel of John, by the time you get to uh, chapter uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, it's really all happening within a day. It's like a conversation that Jesus has with them. And John finds this final conversation so important that he, he, he actually commits most of his gospel to it. It's there in, in John 13 and 14 and 15 where we, we, we read about uh, being the vine, Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. It's in John 17 where Christ says that eternal life is that you may know me, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's there also in John 19 when, when Jesus tells Pilate for this reason, for this reason, to testify of the truth, for this reason I came into the world to testify of the truth, to, to reveal my father to everyone. And it's, and it's powerful because you would think, no, Christ came into the world to die, to give his life as a ransom. That's the way the other gospel writers present it. John comes around and says, no, 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 no. The reason that Christ comes into this world is so that he can reveal the truth to us. It's John who says eternal life is that we may know him. It's John that records that Christ says, Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. I have glorified you here on earth. It's John that seems to be enamored with this beautiful picture of who God is and wants to be certain that we understand it as well. And so it's, it's, it's at the end of his gospel that he, I want to say, in, in a sense, where it climaxes in this narrative. Jesus had been tortured, publicly crucified, and died in front of their eyes. They had gotten to a point where they weren't certain if the one they were following was who he said he was. You have to understand at this point, they believe that the Messiah, the Son of God, was to lead them out of captivity. Not just spiritual captivity, but to lead them away from Rome's cruel oppression. At this time, it is very possible as they're entertaining these thoughts that, that it creeps in their mind that Jesus was a false prophet. That all the rumors that they had heard about him maybe, possibly, were true. And this is why they run from him when they see him taken in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the reason why they are hiding out in the upper room. They're not waiting for the Holy Spirit at this time. They are hiding, afraid for their lives. And so when Jesus meets them at this time, now watch this, he meets them at the end of the Gospel of John. What's interesting is that he finds them fishing. He finds them returning back to the way things used to be. He finds them back in their old jobs. Peter says, can I get my old job back? Oh, yeah, sure, sure, Pete, man. Man, listen, bro, you were one of the best. When Jesus shows up, they are not talking about a church where the gates of hell would not prevail against it as Christ prophesied in Matthew 16. They are back to fishing. Have you ever been there before? After having that encounter with God, feeling that high, after giving your heart to him, being rebaptized, you got your stuff together. And then you get shaken up. 
You get shaken up because something you thought was going to go down the way that you believed it should go down didn't happen exactly the way that you wanted and now you believe that God has misled you. Maybe God isn't real. Maybe God isn't there. And you find yourself going back to the old ways. I like to call it our default mode. We've been there. That's why we always try to get rebaptized. Hello? Always trying to hit the reset button again. Oh, sorry, Lord. And that's where Jesus finds the disciples. They are back to where they started. And this is a very, very far cry from where they were just weeks ago on triumphal Palm Sunday when the entire city showed up uh, ready to celebrate the, the greatest uh, uh, holiday, the Passover celebration, and, and Jesus comes riding on a donkey, the, 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 the fever pitch of excitement, the, the belief that Jesus was about to establish the kingdom here on earth and that Rome was about to get theirs. The disciples were riding so high, just following so close to Jesus. They were his uh, uh, right-hand men. They were, they were at least vying for that position. It's there in the upper room that they are fighting amongst themselves. Who is the greatest? Who is the second general? Who has Jesus back? All this stuff is going on. It's there in the upper room that Pilate, I mean, that, that Peter again reestablishes his commitment to Christ. He says, listen, even if all of these, all of these knuckleheads forsake you, I will die for you. And Jay looks Pete in the eyes and says, bro, man, I, listen, I, I don't even want to embarrass you like this, but I'm going to tell you before the, the rooster crows, you're going to pretend I don't even exist to you, man. I mean, dude, you're going to act like we don't even know each other like that. Three times you're going to do that to me. Peter insists that he won't. I'm sure he reminds Jesus. Remember, you said you would give me the keys. That whatever I loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And whatever, whatever I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And that, that you would build your church upon this rock. Remember, I'm a part of that mission. Remember, I saw you with Elijah and Moses. You trusted me into that intimate space where I was able to see our favorite comic book heroes of all time. I was there. I'm the one that said, I'll build a shelter up there for you so we could dwell there forever. I'm the one that you called. I'm the one that you've trusted. I'm the one that left that boat and, and trusted you enough to walk on the water. Yeah, I got a little shaky. It was my first time walking on water. But I did it. Bartholomew didn't do it. Neither did Nathaniel. And neither did James and even John who thinks you love him more than everybody else. They didn't do it. I did it. It's here where Peter wants to make certain that Jesus understands the man that he's dealing with. And Jesus says, I know exactly who I'm dealing with. And he says, listen, 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 Pete. I've had a conversation with Satan. He has specifically asked for you. He wants to sift you as wheat. But I have been praying for you. So when you return, when you return, strengthen your brothers. That's a word. 
So Peter's been dealing with this, the hype, the, the excitement uh, uh, of being seemingly on top with Jesus, transfiguration, Palm Sunday, upper room, all of that. And then what felt like a deep cataclysmic dive into darkness with Jesus being arrested, scourged, crucified. Like literally, Jesus went from being the Messiah to someone who simply died on them. Not died for them, died on them. So Jesus finds Peter in John 21 back to fishing. The Bible says that they have been fishing all night and I guess they're out of practice because they didn't catch anything. They don't know how to do what they used to do well enough anymore. And here is Jesus now uh, 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 having a conversation with them. He says, friends, in verse 5, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Verse 6, he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You know what I love about this part? Jesus doesn't condemn them from going back to their old ways. Jesus doesn't, doesn't, by this time, they've already seen him. They know he's resurrected, and yet it seems like their faith is still not strong enough. Almost like they forgot whose team they were on. So they're back, you know, working as fishermen. He says, he doesn't, he doesn't reprimand them. He, he's helping them in their vocation. He says, throw the net on the other side, and they, 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 they do so. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord, the Bible says he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, which is what fishermen do, did. They had a lot of water coming into the boat. They usually were doing this in their swimming trunks, right? Well, he put his clothes back on. He put his, he put his uh, skinny jeans back on with the holes in them, you know, he, he put a sweater back on, and the Bible says he jumped in the water. Now, I don't know exactly why he would put clothes on to jump into the water. Could be, could be. He thought he was going to walk on it again. But he puts his clothes on, jumps into the water. The Bible says that he swims to the shore. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals. They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you caught while he shared a meal with them. It's at this meal that Jesus does something, and this is really what I want us to take home today. I want you to get this. It's here at this meal that Jesus does something that he does for us on a daily. When they had finished eating, he says to Simon Peter, do you love me? Now, when Jesus first met Simon, because some of you are probably wondering why he's calling him Simon Peter, when he first met Simon, or Peter, his name was Simon. Jesus changed his name. I'm not sure that's the first thing you should do when you meet somebody, but he changed his name. So he went from Simon to Peter, which means stone. Now some have talked about, oh, it's a rolling stone. It's like a little pebble or whatever it may be. But he's calling him a rock. He's not, he's not trying to diminish Peter in any way. He, he's giving him a name of strength, Peter, Petros. And so Jesus changes his name. And, and, and the first words recorded in, in the gospel of Mark as Jesus speaking to Simon is follow me. 
Okay, this is important. The very first words recorded in the Gospels that Jesus speaks to Peter is, follow me. So in this moment, he asks him, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Now, some are at, think that Christ is asking, do you love me more than the, us, the other disciples love me? Or do you love me more than you love your brothers? Some have suggested he's speaking about uh, uh, his old life. Do you love me more than being a, a, a fisherman? It's not clear in the text exactly what he's speaking to, but you know what? It can apply to all the things because clearly Simon seemingly loved something more than Christ, not willing to give his life. So he says, do you, do you love me more than this? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. And as we read already in the scripture, he asked him three times. Now, you know this story well enough to know that Christ asked him three times because Simon Peter denied him how many times? Three times. And, and Simon Peter denied him publicly three times. So Jesus wants to make sure publicly that something happens in front of the disciples. And this is what some of the lessons I want us to walk away with today. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about forgiveness the last three weeks. And forgiveness is a beautiful gift that God gives us. But what we, what we often miss with forgiveness is a very key component, and that is repentance. See, repentance is a change of thinking. It's a change of mind. So when Jesus asked Peter publicly, do you love me more than these, whatever it is, your, your past life uh, as a fisherman, what you believed sustained you, uh, more than your friends, your, your family, more than your own ideology, more than your own traditions, more than your own safety net, so to speak. Do you love me more than this? Do you trust me more than all these other things? He's giving Peter an opportunity to repent publicly of what he had denounced publicly. And that is his allegiance, affection, and relationship to Christ. So in this moment when Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he is essentially repenting in front of his boys. Because you know how bold he was on, 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 on the Last Supper, right? You remember how bold, ah, even if all these guys turn their backs on you and run, let it be known, I got your back. And he was so bold about it that the Bible says the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, what Pete said. We with you, Jesus. So Jesus has given him an opportunity to repent. And repentance is important. Now watch this. Watch this. Repentance isn't necessarily forgiveness. Nor is repentance necessary in order to be forgiven. See, if forgiveness is a gift then it must be something where no strings are attached. Once you attach strings, once you attach strings, it ceases to be free. Right? Oh, you just, oh, okay, I see what you did. A little switcheroo there on me. Okay. All right, a little bait and switch. Telling me, Jesus, how much you love me and that you would give your life for me. But then you tell me in the next breath, if I don't love you the same and I'm not willing to give my life for you, then you're going to turn your back on me. And if I don't love you, you're going to kill me in the end. Right? That, that's, that's not free. Right? So when Christ was being crucified, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they 
do. In that moment, those who were responsible for crucifying Jesus, even Pilate himself, were forgiven. In that moment, he says, if they only knew, if Pilate knew I was the son of God and his creator, he would not have authorized this. If you really knew in your heart of hearts that I was the, that I am the Messiah, you wouldn't say crucify him. So father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in this moment, the father forgave them, even though they weren't asking for forgiveness. So what we need to understand when it comes to forgiveness, as it relates to Jesus, this has already been applied to your life before you ever asked him to forgive you. This happened clearly and visually and viscerally at Calvary. You were forgiven for your past and for your present and for your future. All sins were covered. All sins had been, had been blotted out. All sins, all of our transgressions had all been redeemed by his blood. That's why when Christ said it was finished, it was complete in the Greek, teleos. It had been fulfilled. He meant it. He didn't say, well, part of it is. But then I got to go do some extra work and then I'll come back. All of it. Everything that was needed in order for us to be saved had been accomplished at Calvary. If you miss that point, you miss the gospel. So what's the point of repentance, pastor? That means you're trying to tell me I can do whatever I want to do and, then, and God has already forgiven me? Absolutely. You read Romans chapter 5. What does Paul say? He says, because of one man's sin, all became sinners, right? Death reigned. But because of one man's righteous act, he's talking about Christ at Calvary. Because of one man's righteous act, all have been freely, he says, justified. Which simply means, it's a legal term, which simply means that God freely pronounced the wicked or the guilty to be innocent. That's what it means to be justified. Meaning you're guilty of the speeding ticket, but the judge says, I'm going to treat you as if you were never speeding. Right? No, no punishment. Because someone paid it all for you. Someone paid the fine. Someone allowed the, their points to be deducted from their driver's license. There's, someone allowed their insurance to go up on your behalf. So you don't have to pay. This is what the gospel is. And any of you who are going to want to argue with me on this, read Romans 5. While we were yet still sinners, while we were yet still powerless, this is when Jesus came to die. It would be difficult for a person to die for a good man, let alone an evil one. But God shows his love, not yours, but his love. And it was while you were yet still his enemies that he came to die for you. Now that he has made you his friends, Paul's words, now that he has made you his friends, how much more will you be saved by his life? And for those of you who are still scratching your head saying, but no, but, 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 pastor, that sounds too good to be true because once you know the truth and you fail to do it, then there is no more mercy. No, Paul says, no, 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 no. Where sin abounds, grace all the more, right? Grace increases, grace covers it. Even those sins that are so willful, those sins that are so deliberate, even those sins, yes, even Judas's sins, yes, all were paid at the cross. 
I say it this way, it's going to hit you a certain way, but I say it this way, you cannot out-sin God's grace. You can't. You, it's there will never be a time where Christ goes, oh, if I had just hung on the cross a little bit longer, I could have covered that. He paid it in full, not just for those who loved him, but for those who were his enemies. Right? Those who would never apologize, those who would never ask for forgiveness. This is what makes grace so powerful. And this is why it must be free, because we could never afford it. So why is repentance necessary then? Pastor, if we're already forgiven, why is repentance necessary? Because repentance involves us changing course. In other words, and this is what Paul argues in Romans 6, right after Romans 5. He says, now that you've been set free, why would you go continuing living as a slave to sin? Like you've been freed from that joint. Why would you go back into it? You've been let out of prison. Why go back into the dungeon? What are you thinking? This makes no sense to Paul. And I would say the same to you. Now that you've seen the light, how could you go back into the darkness? That's like the prodigal son coming back home and then one day on a full belly saying, man, I miss those pigs. You know, I get my grub on. Man, those, no, pigs were all right, man. There was, there was some good people, man. You know what I mean? You know, I'm good. Dad, can I have some more money that I can blow and just, just waste my life and have another famine hit me? I mean, that was, you know, th those days were so good. You think that's how the prodigal son remembered his experience? You think he told his older brother, man, I'm glad I'm back home, but bruh, you, oh man, we had some good times. Because for the prodigal son, like for most of us, if we're honest about all those fun times out in the world and sinning, if we're honest, we'll finish our stories. Yeah, that was cool for a moment. Yeah, I got a high, but oh, man, there was an incredible low afterwards. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. He didn't talk to me anymore. Right? We have to finish the story. The problem is we don't like to finish those stories because, because sin appearing glamorous makes us for a moment feel like we're worth something, that we're special. We did something really big and adult. Look at us. But if we finish the story of our sinful distrusting of God past, we'll be honest. There's a lot of heartache and headache, right? There's a reason why the prodigal son comes back home. So when the prodigal son comes back home, what you have to understand in that move to come back home, he was simply repenting. He was telling his father, I was wrong. And I don't want to live like I was living. In fact, dad, I was so wrong. I will be a servant in your household for the rest of my life. He living with daddy was so good. He said, I will be the postman on your street. I mean, I just want to be as close as I possibly can be. I'll just mow the lawn and clean the pool. I just, I, he sounds like David. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell, dwell among the wealthy and the powerful. I'd rather be a housefly in your home, Jesus. I just want to be close to you. So repentance says, whatever I was doing wasn't working. I want to do what you've asked me to do. I want to try it your way. And I always tell people all the time, man, let the inventor of happiness, let the inventor of joy, let the inventor of peace give you counsel. Hello? So there's repentance there. Now watch this, watch this. So in the, the second thing that happens after, after 
Peter repents, the second thing that happens is that Jesus reinstates Peter. He says to him, feed my lambs or feed my sheep, right? Care for my flock. So in front of the disciples, Jesus reinstates Peter as if he had never fallen away. That, my friends, is forgiveness. That's what you've been, this is what you've been learning the last three weeks. It is, it is to treat someone as if they had never wronged you. Peter is given the same position. I'm sure some of the disciples are like, wait a second, I should be a part of the, 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 the close, intimate three. Peter should have lost, Peter should be behind Bartholomew. We don't even know if his name is correct. Peter should be behind Bart and I should be moved up. Right? They, I mean, they're, they're thinking because of what Judas did and what Peter did, everybody moves up a chair. But Christ gives him back his old spot. Now, can I, can, I, can I share something with you? What God was willing to do for Peter, watch this, watch this, don't miss it. What he was willing to do for Peter and what he did for Peter, he's willing to do for everyone. Before you say amen. He was also willing to do for Satan. See, we often think because someone falls, there's no way they can get back up. Because someone goes astray, there's no road back to God. But the more that we learn of God, we know that he never, clothes, he never closes off roads. The reason why Lucifer is not in heaven is not because there's not a way for him to be in heaven. He chose not to be. And your God is just a gentleman. He's respectful. He's like, look, if you, wanna, if you don't want to roll with me, I'm not going to force you to roll with me. In the end, watch this, in the end, we like to say those unrepentant sinners, they will get what they deserve. They don't get what they deserve because that would mean that God gives us all what we deserve and he doesn't do that, right? Jesus didn't get what he deserved, right? And in the end, those of us who are saved, we're not getting what we deserve, right? So why in the end do you think the wicked are now going to get what they deserve? That God is going to change his MO up and go, oh, now you're going to get it. Now you made me mad. All of you are going to, no. Even in the end, they don't get what they deserve. In fact, if we read scripture, we'll see that even in the end, God is still answering prayer requests. Because when, when God comes again, when Christ comes again, what do the wicked cry out for? Do they say, take us to heaven? Do they say, hey, can we live on the new earth with you? Does Satan go, oh man, can I be a covering cherub again? It was so bomb hanging out with you that closely. Is that what he says? It says that those who remain unrepentant, meaning that their minds have not changed. They don't see God any differently, right? He's Godzilla to them. That those people in the end, they have one final prayer request. They want the rocks to do what? They would rather die than live with Jesus. Right? It's a choice. Now, the Bible says for the wicked, if they were to be permitted to be close to Christ, to be close to God, that his very presence is a consuming what? It's a what? Consuming fire for the wicked. His very presence is a consuming fire, meaning they have no joy in his presence. They don't want to be that close to him. In fact, if God wants to burn them and give them back what they deserve, he'd say, stay close to me. 
But he says, no, no, I got you. No, I got you. Hey, I'm not going to come any closer. I'm not going to come any closer. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. I'll leave you be. But just know as I leave you, as I allow you to no longer remain in me, your choice, not my choice, because I said remain in me and you'll be fruitful. Remain in me and you will live. I told you that. But if you don't want to remain in me, I want you to know, John 15, I want you to know that you will be like a branch that withers away. You know what they do? Every, every knee bows, every tongue confesses. That's okay with us. <laughs> thank, you. thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we don't want to live with you. We don't want to live without you. We'd rather die in peace. I tell people this all the time. Everybody's going to get peace in the end. Everyone's going to get peace. Some will rest in peace for eternity, and some will live in peace with Jesus. Amen? But in the end, all prayer requests are answered. God is good, isn't he? All right, all right. So this is repentance, and, and Peter, he demonstrates this uh, 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 by, by telling Jesus that he, he does love him. He made a mistake. And then, and then Christ reinstates him by telling him to feed his sheep, his sheep and his lambs and his, feed his flock. So, so Peter is reinstated, and the Bible says in, in verse 3 that he's also, he's, the third point, he's also reemployed. Not only am I going to reinstate you, Peter, by you confessing three times that you love me and I reinstate you, but I'm going to reemploy you. This is your mission. This is what I want you to do. And I'm so glad that we're not left unemployed in Christ's ministry, right? Some of us think that because we failed that somehow we've been disqualified to teach, preach. Can I tell you? that our failures actually in this world, on this side of the cross, on this side of eternity, actually equip us to be even more effective to reach people who also fail? We need to, we need to fix the way that we look at people's failures, especially public failures. We, we like to think because they have failed so flagrantly and so publicly and they're such a disgrace to their, 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 their office and, 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 and to the pulpit that they should be done away with and let's take this from them and remove them from this and so forth. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't treat us like we treat one another. Well, but pastor, we have to represent Christ. You took on that oath. So if you fail, you get what you deserve. Peter failed publicly. He failed as one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was so close to Peter that when he went deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Pete, can you come along with me, please? I just want you to be near me. Right? That's how close Christ was to Peter. So when Peter failed Christ, this, this hurt him, of course. It's a closer connection. But it did not divorce him from Christ. In the same way, Judas wasn't divorced from Christ because he denied him and because he betrayed him. It's so easy for us to categorize people and say, you're good, you're bad. Peter's good, Judas is bad. Why? Well, because Peter asked for forgiveness and said he was wrong and Judas never did. Really? That's how we determine who's good and who's bad? How many times has someone come to you and said, I'm sorry, and you're like, I'm still going to be mad at you for the next 10 years. 
sorry is weak. Your sorry is, I don't want, how many times you said to someone, I don't want your apology. Right? Apologies don't fix pain. Oh, now the adultery we can now forget about because she told me she was wrong. He told me he was wrong. It still hurts like Hades. Again, even in Judas's case, and I don't even know what's going to happen to Judas in the end, okay? I'm, I'm, I don't make those kind of judgments. I, I always like to say that God has the final word. Maybe Judas won't be there, but he's not going to not be there because he betrayed Jesus. The only reason why he wouldn't be in the kingdom is because he didn't want to be there. But not because of his sin. Because if that were the case, none of us would be there. Oh, David's going to be there because David asked for forgiveness. He was a man after God's own heart. He, look at the Psalms. Look how much he repented. Have you read all the Psalms? Yes, David repented. And then he's petty and vengeful. There's a lot of the Psalms I can't even read in church because it's embarrassing. And I'm like, David, you should not have journaled that. And it shouldn't be called holy. But there it is. In the Holy Scriptures, all of our holy messes. Amen? It's all there. All inspired. Job, his crazy stuff, and Jeremiah, and, 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 and Solomon, all that wisdom that Solomon gives us. Have you read all his wisdom? Some of it is whack. And would never fly in today's culture. But no, but it's so different, Pastor. It's in the Bible, so, you know, they're all good people. No, they're all bad. All of them. Including Father Abraham, who had many sons. All his stuff. No, he's the father of faith. Abraham gets the faith thing right at the very end when he's too old to even disagree with God. What did you say I was going to have? A son? Oh, God. All right, whatever you say. You want me to do what? To kill him? Okay. Come on, son. We're going up the mountain. I mean, he was so old, he couldn't disagree anymore. And now he's the example of faith. Come on. God re-employs us with all of our flaws. He says to David, keep writing. Keep writing. Yeah, some of it is, dude, some of that is wild. But keep writing because in all of that, there are some nuggets of truth that are going to free people. And let them know that if I could be close to you, even with all your mess, David, they know I can be close to them. Right? And this is the message we need to understand. Your sins do not disqualify you for being employed in the services of Christ. In fact, I would tell you, they actually equip you to be more effective. This is why Jesus says to Peter, when you return, do what? strengthen your brothers. How in the world is Peter going to strengthen them after all his failures? Because Peter understood a thing about failure and pride and boastfulness. Now he can speak from a place of experience and say, Philip, bro, I know. I know, no. You don't want to go there. You don't want to do that, right? So there is, there is, re there is repentance. 
There is reinstatement by Jesus asking him three times. Peter denied him three times, so Christ reinstates him by asking him three times and allowing him to confess three times that he loves him. And there's reemployment. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my flock. The last one, and then we will close. There is revelation. And this is the one that we had not read yet, and I want us to read. Let's go back to John. Go back to John. We're in chapter 21, John. After he says to Peter, you know, feed my sheep and feed my sheep and feed my sheep. We're at the end of verse 17. Jesus said to him after Peter confessed the third time, he was feeling pretty bad because Christ asked him three times. The third time he says to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18 says this, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will what? Stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you what? Do not want to go. Verse 19, John is writing here. He says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. John knew what Christ was talking about. Peter knew what Christ was talking about. He was basically telling him, you're going to be stretched out on a cross. Take it to a place you don't want to go, bro. And I know you don't want to go there because when there was time for you to have my back and you knew they were taking me, you ran. You don't want this life. You don't want this fire. I get it. But one day, Peter, don't miss the beauty in this, right? Revelation. One day, Peter, you're going to. You're going to do this. And so he tells Peter, follow me. Now, what we don't see in the Greek, I mean, what we don't see in the English translation that's in the Greek, I think is compelling. Now, there are scholars that will say there's really no, nothing significant about the word change here. But when Christ asked Peter, do you love me? The first two times he asked him, he used the Greek word agape. Now, some scholars say there is no difference between agape and phileo, which is another way of saying love. Right? But I find it curious that Jesus uses agape. John records it as Christ saying agape two times. But the third time he asked Simon Peter, he asked him, do you phileo me? The first two times he says, do you agape me? Now again, some will say agape has no greater significance than phileo. But we have heard this growing up in the church that agape is the greatest form of love. And phileo is more of a brotherly love, right? I have a hard time siding with scholars that say there's no difference because all the big texts where it says God is love, it's God is agape. When Jesus says, for God so agape the world, right? It's agape. He didn't say so phileoed it. When, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All the big verses with love are usually agape. So I, I, I believe there's something significant here. But watch what happens. Jesus asked Peter, does he agape him? And Peter says, yes, I do. Let me ask you this question right now. Do you believe in this moment when Peter says that he loves Jesus, that he agapes him to the point he would give his life even in that very moment for Christ? Do you think that Peter has experienced such a transformation in one week that by the time Jesus feeds him his veggie fish, his stripples, right? You, you think at this point, Peter's like, yeah, man, if they brought a cross right now, man, I'd give my life for you. Do you think Simon Peter's already there? Here's the most amazing thing. Jesus knew Peter wasn't there. So he went from asking him, do you agape me, to asking him, do you phileo me? Watch what happens here. 
Christ knows that Simon Peter's not there yet. One day, you'll be taken to a place where you don't want to go. But one day, you will go. You may not love me like that right now, but bruh, one day, you're going to love me, love me. I'll settle for what you have right now, which is phileo. I'm good. Bro, I, I can, listen, you might just like me right now, and I can rock with that right now. I'll work with what you have. Whatever you have. The father in Mark 9, Lord, I do have a little bit of faith, but help me have more. Christ, oh, I can work with that. Just give me a little something. I'll take your little like right now. I'll take your curiosity right now. I'll, I'll, I'll take your imagination right now. I'll take this kind of infatuation you have with me right now. I'll take it that you think you're into me, but you're really just into the music. I'll rock with that right now. I know you wouldn't give your life for me. I know if there were crosses out there waiting for you, you would deny me right now, even after waving your hands in worship and, and talking about how I am Adonai and... And, and, and great is the Lord and all this other kind of stuff. I know you would deny me right now if your life depended on it. But you know what? I'll take it. Right now, I'll take it. I'll take you just as you are. Because I know if you can just trust me a little bit more, step by step, even though you don't love me like that, girl, one day you're going to love me, love me. You're going to love me so much. Now, what was so interesting is that Simon Peter's a little upset by this. He looks around, looks at John, looks at Jesus and says, what about him? What's going to happen to him? Because he's trying to figure out who's better, right? You're going to allow that to happen to me, your boy? When are you going to let him? And Christ says, what's it to you if he remains alive until I come back in the clouds of glory, right? Then he turns to Simon and says, but you follow me. What were the first words that Jesus said to Simon? Follow me. The last words recorded in scripture from Jesus to Simon Peter were follow me. I still want you. The invitation is still there. You haven't lost it. It's still yours. Now, let me tie up this last end. I told you that Christ changed his name from Simon to Peter. We know that Peter means rock. I'm the rock. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? Not everybody's going to get that. It's not for you. Right? That's, that's, that's Peter. And they looked up to me. Yeah, that's right. That's Peter the rock, man. Yeah, upon this, up this rock, we're going to build a church. And that's, that's a strong man right there. Right? The fisherman, the rock. But in this story, what is he calling him? Is he calling him Peter? He's calling him Simon. He keeps calling him Simon. Simon. Why is he going back to his old name? You don't think I'm strong anymore, Jesus? You don't think I'm tough anymore, Jesus? Why are you calling me Simon? Because the name Simon means listener. Right now, I don't need you to be strong. I need you to listen to me.
need you to be a good listener, Simon. Simon, son of John. Simon Peter was crucified but he had one request according to Christian history his one request was this can you crucify me upside down for I am not worthy to die like Jesus Peter one day he loved him he loved him some Jesus. Oh, he when they told him to stop talking about Jesus, he said, I can't keep quiet. When they told him with the threat of death, do you know what we can do to you? Go, oh, go on and do it. I can't stay quiet. Do you know how we will torture you? It'll be excruciating. You want to die like your Savior? No, I'm not good enough to die like my Jesus. You got to change it up. I'm not worthy enough die like him we often see where people are Jesus sees where he's taking us so when he's speaking to us in the now know that there is a prophetic word a revelation knowing where we're going to be so he doesn't trip on the things that we trip on he doesn't get so I can't believe David would do this Peter, I can't believe you would deny me. Because Christ knows the end. And so I'm telling you right now, you need to stop being so hard on yourself. Sin was hard enough on Jesus because of you. So don't, don't do a double payment here. Christ knew you were weak. He knew you would fail. He knew you would stumble. That's why he came. And that's why we call him Savior. So now that you know this information, as you learn through these last three weeks, you need to give yourself a little bit more grace. Because he will finish, Paul tells us, the good work that he has begun in us. You are not a finished product. And might I add that even after Christ comes again, we will still continue to learn more and more about Jesus. We'll still be getting it right. Amen? There's only one who is good, the Bible says. None of us are good trees, but praise the Lord, we get to be a branch connected to the only good tree. His word will not return to him void. You are his kids. But I'm not good enough. He's good enough. But I can't do it. Of course you can. He can and has and will. So Simon, listeners, do you love him? Maybe. I don't. Let's work with that. Whatever it is right now, let's just work with that. There's someone here today that just simply wants to say to the Lord, 
Lord, what I have, I know it's not a lot, but I am telling you today and my friends and my family, I want you to work with this. I'm just curious right now. I just have a little bit of hope. I might just have a little bit of faith. I think I might like you. I'm not even sure yet. But it's clearly not where where Peter eventually arrived, but that's okay. I'm on a journey right now and I just want you to know and I want my friends to know I'm beginning this journey. Christ has called me to follow him and I'm accepting. With all my brokenness, with all my doubts, with all my anger that I still have towards God because he allowed this to happen in my life, here and there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him work with whatever I bring, with my confusion, with my addictions. I'm not ready to give up this, not ready to give up that, but Lord, just take me as I am. Let's work on this together. If that's where you are, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet before you stand. This is not stand if you wanna be saved, sit if you're wanting to be lost. But very specific here. Some of you may already have your relationship with Christ. You've already come to this realization. You already got this flow with him. You're good. I'm talking about those who didn't know, didn't know him like this. And now you're willing to start with whatever you have. If that's who you are, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we pray. Specifically for that, somebody here. See, young man, anybody else? Anybody else? This is not for Jesus that you need to do. This is actually for you. There's something powerful in the public confession. There's something powerful in the public confession, which is why Christ publicly allowed Peter to confess the way that he did. There was something powerful in that. Is there anyone else? Anyone else before we pray? If you make that decision as I'm praying, you can do so. It is there for you on your drive back home on a little bit later tonight. You don't need to do this for me. This is about you and your relationship with Christ. Let us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for trusting us with this word. Thank you so much for telling us to cast our net on the other side because whatever we were doing before was not working, but we want something that works. Father, we have run back to our old ways, our default mode, because we lost our faith. We, we, lost, we lost our way, but we're hearing the invitation again to follow you. It's fresh, it's new, it has not changed. You have not changed your mind. Even though we have changed our minds several times, you're not changing your mind. So we hear that voice again and we're going to follow. We are being good listeners. We're not gonna be stony hearted. We're not gonna with all our pride, Father, be an unmovable rock. Right now, we just wanna be good listeners. Hear your voice and know that you're wanting to begin a good work in us and you're going to finish it. You are the author and finisher of our faith. The beginning and the end. Follow me. Follow me. So, Father, there are some of us in our journey, we do love you. You know that we love you. But we're still not finished products. We may have 30 years on our children, so we may have a deeper, a closer, more trusting relationship with you, but we are not the finished product. And so what we heard today was to continue on, to continue to follow you, to allow you to take us to greater heights, greater understanding, greater empathy, greater levels of forgiveness, not just of ourselves, but of others. Father, we thank you for allowing us a platform, a safe place for us to repent publicly. We thank you so much, Father, for not just hearing our repentance, but reinstating us 
publicly reinstating us, letting us know that we, we are valued no matter what we've done in the past. And thank you for re-employing us, putting us back into your service to be effective. No matter what our failures are, they have equipped us, not disqualified us for ministry. And Father, we thank you for the revelation that you gave us, the reminder that you will finish a good work in us. We will one day get to that point. We take that in faith, and with that hope, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.